Well, good morning. Good morning. Man, it's good to see you guys. Last week, we looked at Peter's impromptu sermon, which he preached to the Sanhedrin, which is the Jewish high council, after he and John were arrested for teaching the people about Jesus. And the message was on the nature of truth. And this week, we're going to extend that theme, and we're going to look at the effect that truth has in those who are of the truth. And then the next time that, that I'm in this pulpit, I think we're going to look at the nature of boldness, which is a further continuation of the same idea. So if you would, please turn to Acts chapter 4 in your Bibles, Acts chapter 4. While you're turning there, um, some of you who are visiting may not realize we have, uh, for kids, we've got bingo sheets. There's little pictures that are hidden. You can see a few of them in this slide right here. There's pictures that are hidden. Uh, we've also got a crossword and a, uh, we've got a word find, so just to keep them occupied, they... I learned that, that kids still can listen while they do those things because sometimes they'll tell me after the service, they'll remember something, and that's great. Um, sometimes you adults can listen too when you're doing that, which is amazing. Um, right? Um, we're going to do a quick recap of what last week's text taught us about truth. We learned that truth, the truth with a capital T, both enrages and engages. It engages, excuse me, it enrages those who refuse to believe it which is pretty much all of those who love darkness and who actively suppress the truth by wickedness, okay? And then uh, the reason for that is that it threatens uh, both their preconceived notions and the power that they try to have, okay? Yet truth engages those whose hearts are predisposed toward it. We also learn that truth is both radically exclusive and radically inclusive. It's exclusive in that truth belongs to God and it corresponds with reality. Like, we don't get to make our own truth, okay? And on top of that, there's only one person in whom truth is fully manifest, and that's Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God the Son, crucified and resurrected from the dead. But even further, Jesus himself stated that he is the only way to the Father, and then Peter, uh, Peter reiterated that when he said that there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we can be saved. But truth is also inclusive and in that anyone who will believe it can belong to it. So that's kind of the lead in to today's message, uh, which continues where we left off. Now, um, we're going to look at the text. I'm going to read it all the way through, let you guys follow along. I'm, it's a long text. I'm not going to have everybody read along with me today um, out loud, but please follow along with your eyes. And kids, just so you know, there are no hidden pictures in the following slides, so you can read along too. Um, at least in these scripture slides. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, they perceived that they were uneducated common men. They were astonished, and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us, let us warn them to speak no more of this name. And so they called them, and they charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And when they had finished uh, threatening them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was really old. 
I'm just kidding. He was, <laughs> you're listening? Yay, good deal, good deal. Hey, I too am more than 40 years old. It's all right. Um, if there's any one particular thing that I hope every Christian listening today will grasp, it's the fact that knowing and believing the truth gives us boldness. Knowing and believing the truth gives us boldness. Will you bow with me? Lord Jesus, we ask this morning, uh, we ask that you will give us boldness. We ask that you will help us to trust you, to love you, and Father, to know the truth as well, so that the Spirit speaking through us might be uh, able to, to convey that truth to an unbelieving world. We pray, Father, that hearts will be softened. We pray that our words might be um, spoken truth and love, so that rather than just beating people with them, that we, uh, we, we give them something. We give them the gift that you have given to us the beautiful revelation of your son, Jesus. We ask that your Holy Spirit will continue to give us boldness. This morning, I pray that everybody that's here is good soil and I ask that the words will sink in, it'll take root and bear fruit. And we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right. Truth gives us boldness. Remember that truth is that which is consistent with reality. Truth is what really is. But what is boldness? According to, to dictionary.com, boldness can be defined as a lack of hesitation or fear in face of risk or danger or refusal to be held back by the opinion or judgment of others. Now, some people believe that this is a, a quality that, that people are either born with or they learn. And, and I think it's probably both of those, but I believe it's also a spiritual blessing that comes as a result of being certain beyond a shadow of a doubt of truth. The picture that the Bible consistently paints is that truth gives boldness to God's people, particularly in the book of Acts. It's really, really present there. And so that's what we're going to pick up today in verse 13. Now when they, that's, that's the, the Sadducees, the, the high priests, religious leaders, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. Guys, th this, is, this is probably one of my favorite narrative verses in the whole Bible. Because um, there's some fun stuff here in Luke's description that, that really you can't get it in most of the English translations. Um, first, the word that's translated uneducated is literally unlearned or unlettered, meaning illiterate. Now, it's, it's probably not the case that they were unable to read or write, okay? But what there's, because we, we know that John and Peter both wrote books in the Bible, okay? But they were, they had had no formal education. They would have been considered uneducated by the religious elite because they'd had no formal education. You know, they, according to what the Jews would require for someone to, to be teaching the people. So basically, if you weren't a Pharisee, you weren't a Sadducee, you weren't a teacher of the law, in first century Israel, you were, you were viewed as qualified only to teach a trade, okay, or some other non-religious truth. But these guys were uneducated, and yet they were teaching with incredible boldness, and particularly on the resurrection of Jesus, right? Because the Sadducees didn't even believe in any sort of afterlife, any sort of resurrection. And again, of course, you know, the religious elite, they were really upset because they were offended. Their views were being challenged, right, as well as their status. Because the Sadducees were, were the group that held the power in the Jewish high council uh, because the high priests were Sadducees. So the apostles were uneducated. But on top of that, 
They were common. And common is how the English Bibles translate the Greek word idiotai. And I love that. I want you to think about that for a second. Idiotai. What word do we get from that? Idiot. Clearly, right? Uh, to me, that's funny. Okay? Uh, now, I, I just I picture the Sadducees talking to each other. You know, I'm surprised of the boldness of these illiterate idiots. You know what I mean? It's, it just seems kind of funny. But, but these guys who were the last people that you would expect to be teaching religion were sharing the truth about Jesus. And they were winning converts left and right. Really, God was winning the converts. But they're making disciples left and right. Because the fact is, it doesn't matter who the truth is coming from. Because truth doesn't care who you are. Truth doesn't care who you are. Truth is truth. Whether it comes out of the mouth of a janitor, or out of a professor, or out of a nurse, or out of a layman, or out of a doctor, or uh, it doesn't matter. Truth is truth. It doesn't care about your skin color. It doesn't care about your net worth. It doesn't care about, about your sex. It doesn't care about your intellect. Truth is truth, whether it's spoken by a wise and old man or whether it's spoken by a little child. Truth is truth. Remember the allusion last week to the story of the emperor's new clothes? Some of you guys are probably familiar with that. For, for those of you that are not familiar with that old story, the gist of it goes like this. There's an emperor, and he hires uh, some, some dishonest tailors. They're swindlers, basically, to make him a new wardrobe, right? And so they pretend. They, they, they get all these supplies, golden thread and all this stuff, silk. They get all these supplies from the emperor, and then they pretend to make him beautiful garments that are so fine that they are nearly invisible to the eye. And the whole time, you know, they're, they're keeping both the pay and the supplies that are being provided. And they're telling the king and his officials that anyone who couldn't see the finished product was either incompetent for their station or hopelessly stupid. Okay? And so the king, of course, being vain, he, he doesn't want to admit that he can't see these invisible clothes, right? And so he, he lets the swindlers keep pretending to make them with pay. And his officers also, they're too afraid to admit that they don't see them either. Well, if the king can see him, we better not, you know, see who we can, right? And so it ends, the story ends with the king parading down the street in his underwear with his staff holding up his imaginary train, you know, that he's dragging behind him. And, and everyone in the kingdom just ooing and aahing and going along with it until this little boy shouts out, but the emperor has no clothes. <laughs> that is our culture. It's, it's absolutely loaded with lies that have eternal consequences, and yet people are either too proud or too ignorant or too scared to call them out. Now, now back, back to the, this story, the apostles. Okay, the apostles, they may not have had anything in the way of, of earthly credentials, but they're speaking the truth, and that gives them the right to a podium that the religious leaders couldn't lay any claim to. Now, the quality of truth is not in any way affected by the traits of the person speaking it. I really want to, to impress this on everyone because I think we, we are often, we're, 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 we're loath to speak up. We're chicken sometimes. People are afraid to speak up in a situation 
that if you don't, it can be spiritually damaging to someone else. Sometimes we think it's, well, I'm not qualified. I don't know enough to speak up. Here's the thing. Do you know the truth? If you do, you're qualified. You're qualified to speak up. If you know the truth, you are qualified. That's not to say that you have to jump into every, you know, Facebook arguments or, or whatever, or always correct everyone if they have wrong thinking or their grammar. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I'm, a, I'm a grammar Nazi too. I'm sorry. It's, it's, it's terrible. But, you know, it, it, we don't always have to correct everyone. Okay, there's actually, there's multiple statements in the Proverbs about that. So use your God-given discernment. But don't ever pass up the chance to, to speak a valuable truth just because you think you're not qualified. Again, if you know the truth, you are qualified. Secondly, note that they, the Sadducees, recognized that they, the apostles, had been with Jesus. Okay, now that, that, that speaks volumes to me. Uh, do you think that the, the Jewish council just knew them on sight? I mean, maybe, I suppose it's possible, right? But maybe the nature of Peter and John's boldness and the power of the truth that they were speaking, maybe that's what gave it away, that they were close to Jesus. I may be wrong. I hope it's the second one. I really do. Because I've never, I've never physically walked with Jesus in his earthly body the way that Peter and John did, but I want people to recognize that I have been with Jesus when I'm speaking a living truth. Don't you? Don't you want that? Because there's something about having been with Jesus that gives us the courage to speak truth, church. Boldness is established in relationship. Boldness is established in relationship. The apostles had a connection to the giver and, and, and the personification, by the way, of absolute truth. And so do we. Jesus had personally walked with them. He had shared himself with them. He had died before their eyes as the atoning sacrifice for sin. And then he rose from the dead. And they were eyewitnesses to all of it. Okay? You might think, well, well that's not fair then. You know, we haven't had all those advantages. This is true. But by grace through faith, we who are in Christ have received the same Holy Spirit living in us that lived in Peter and John and countless others since then. We have that same spirit. It's the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. So, so we really have no excuse to be fearful about living and sharing the truth. After all, as, as Paul told Timothy, we are not given a spirit of what? Timidity, fear, but a one of love, of power, of self-control. So, so anyone, anyone who knows Jesus, even if we're not naturally bold, we have the supernatural ability to be bold on behalf of Christ because he gives us boldness. And sometimes even he gives us the very words to speak. That was one of the passages that was read earlier. So who knows? Maybe, maybe someone will be astonished when they see God's spirit working in you and through you. Let's keep reading. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? And I get a kick out of just how matter-of-factly Luke writes this. You know, I mean, remember what had just happened, right? That these weren't, this wasn't just a couple of itinerant street preachers. They had a guy standing beside them 
who had been literally disabled since birth and unable to walk. And yet here he is in perfect health doing a jig. You know, he's perfectly capable. Apparently he's willing to share his testimony too because he's in there with them in front of the Sanhedrin. Now for just a moment, okay, put yourselves in the shoes of Peter and John. Just a few weeks before, these guys, they were hiding in an upper room. Remember? They thought that they were going to, Jesus is dead, we're going to be next. They were terrified. They were afraid they're going to be arrested just for knowing Jesus. But now they're behaving fearlessly. And, and what, what has happened, what has happened is, is in the meantime, they've seen Jesus alive. They've seen him alive. That changes things. They saw the resurrected Christ. They watched him go up into heaven. They received the Holy Spirit in a powerful way. And Peter has already seen the incredible power of the truth being preached. Remember, the, the first Christian sermon ever preached was in Acts chapter 2. 3,000 people joined the church that day. Right? This movement called the way at the time. This movement of Jesus followers. Now, upon taking the risk... Right of following the, the leading of the Spirit. Peter and John are used by God to completely restore a crippled man to full ability. And then, and then God used that miracle to raise the number of believers to 5,000, just the men, plus women and children. Okay, And the more, that, the more that these apostles obeyed God's teaching, the more they followed his leading, the more he proved he was with them. And so their experience of faith gave them more courage to do what they've been commanded to do, which is make disciples. Church, listen, boldness grows with experience. Boldness grows with experience. Now, you, you might think it, it's, it's not a fair comparison, right? Because most of us haven't had those exact same experiences that the apostles had. And that's true. We don't have someone that God miraculously healed of a disability through us standing there next to us to say, look at me. But friends... If we start living boldly in our faith, as the Lord commands us to do, won't we have those standing next to us that God may not have delivered from a physical disability, but he delivered them from the power and the penalty of sin? Won't those people be a testimony? Thank you. Yes, they will. Won't they be a witness to the power of God? They will. Isn't it worth, church, isn't it worth going out on a limb to share the truth if even one person believes? Isn't it worth it if even one person's eternal destination changes from heaven to hell? Of course it is. You guys are awfully quiet today. I don't know. Is it? Yes. Yes, it is. And I, and I can attest to this, the more that we share the gospel, the more we lose that fear. We grow in boldness, especially when we see the Holy Spirit working through us. It's powerful. Anyway, back to the Sadducees. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, you know, they, they're like, wait, we can't. They got nothing. There is nothing they can do. They certainly can't feasibly say the man hasn't been healed, right? I mean, he's right there. And since these apostles had apparently done something impossible as a sign that their words were true, the Pharisees were going to have to figure out some other way to deal with this besides, nuh -uh. right? Therein lies the rub. 
For those who try to deny truth, you have to create a special argument since truth is always going to be corroborated by unbiased data. Now, the word unbiased is key. Okay? There will always, always be those who are willing to twist data, to falsify evidence, to threaten witnesses, obscure, you know, whatever. I'm going to give you a quick example. Some of you guys are going to hate me for this. But back in the 1980s, okay, there was, a, there was a large human footprint discovered in what was previously thought to be 60 million year old limestone in the same strata of rock as dinosaur footprints. You know what I'm talking about? This is in Glen Rose, Texas. This was reported in the Star-Telegram, and it made a lot of secular scientists and archaeologists mad, right? Because, because if these are human footprints, then that would mean that humans would have coexisted with dinosaurs, like the Bible teaches. So author Charles Baugh, he, he, he was a part of this archaeological excavation, and in his book about the dig, he mentioned that there were people that were saying that the footprints must have been recently carved into the rock as a hoax, right? Because... Because no way could this be real until they used heavy machinery and they lifted up literal tons of undisturbed Cretaceous limestone and they found the footprints continued in the rock underneath undisturbed limestone. And, and at one point, the human footprints crossed the dinosaur footprints. Now, you can look this up, by the way. You can look this up online. You can read both the evidence and the opinion of people trying to debunk it because, of course, there's... A zillion people say, like, oh, this can't be the case. It's got to be a hoax. But, but the most shocking thing they found underneath this, this undisturbed layer of limestone was one where a human foot stepped. You can see a picture of this. He stepped inside the dinosaur footprint. You can tell by the way the mud hardened that these footprints were made at the same time. Okay? Now, most people, if they hadn't grown up being taught Darwinian evolutionary theory from day one. What do you think they would say when confronted by this evidence? I'll bet they would agree that the evidence suggests that at least one, at least one human being and at least one dinosaur were together at the same time in that mud right then. Okay, but that's not what they said. In fact, Charles Boss said that there was at least one evolutionary scientist who came on location to the excavation, came on location, literally spent the entire day with his back to the dig, and then went back and reported that he had seen nothing there to indicate that the theory of evolution was incorrect. Think about that. I'm going to drive all the way out there to Glen Rose, stand with my back to what's happening, and then say, I didn't see anything. Do you see how deep untruth goes? How strong a lie can be? Now, why do I bring up that example? Because, again, most people who are wrong don't like to have their beliefs challenged. But if we look at unbiased evidence and we do our best to approach it for what it is rather than approaching it through the lens of our own bias, okay, it's likely to point us to truth. Because again, unbiased data, when interpreted rightly, will corroborate what is true. So anyway, let's keep going. The Sadducees are still trying to decide what to do about Peter and John. What should we do? 
for that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it, not for lack of trying, but in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. What is that called? Herod, Herod, by being repressed. What is that called? It's called suppression. It's called suppression of truth. Because truth is often unpopular. There are many who wish to silence it. We, we can't disprove this, can we? No, sir. Well, maybe we can dispute it then. Well, not effectively. Hmm. Can we deny it? Not really. Disregard it? Too big. Oh, I know. Then let's destroy it. Right? Ah, and that's where they landed. We're going to destroy this truth by ordering that no one speak it. This is an ancient practice, pushing something down, covering it up because it conflicts with our version of events. This is what we call in today's parlance a narrative. Meaning you're not going to hear the truth and then interpret it for yourself. You're only going to hear what we want you to hear, which is either nothing of the truth or it's the truth after we've, we've removed everything that's dangerous. You know, like that whole pesky Jesus is the Messiah and, and resurrection from the dead thing. The problem is truth won't be silenced. Not forever. We'll come back to that. So what then do the Sadducees do? So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, and I love their answer. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. I mean, obviously, you could preach a whole sermon series off of that one sentence, if you're so inclined. Uh, look how Peter and John replied, okay? With, it's an interesting combination here of, of boldness and tact because they appealed not only to the truth, but they appealed to the proper hierarchy of authority in the world that God created, which is God, then human government. And, and that's something that all of these, these religious leaders should have recognized as obvious, you know, who should we listen to, you or God? And maybe some of them were taken aback. Maybe that got them thinking. You know, but, but remember, they were used to making the decisions. They were used to giving the orders, at least to fellow Israelites, because Rome was technically in charge, right? You know, Rome, Rome, Rome afforded Jews, though, uh, uh, and the whole nation of Israel a pretty significant amount of freedom. They allowed them to, to, to run their own religious establishment and stuff. Even Herod didn't really seem to interfere with the Sanhedrin. And that was their, you know, their puppet king. So there are a whole bunch of levels of human authority that went above Peter and John's heads. They were basically peasants. They were, they were peons, right? And, and then above them were the chief priests. And then Herod and Pilate and then Caesar. But then as high as the heavens are above the earth, the Lord. These other, these other things, these other levels... Little here, little there, but God, so high, so far above. And they recognized that. For the Christian, boldness recognizes God's authority far and above any man's authority. And that, friends, is why Christianity is viewed as a worldwide threat. Do you understand that? Wrap your brain around that. The world wants you to have a king, but not God. 
Christianity is a threat to every hostile nation because there is loyalty, there is allegiance, there is fealty, fidelity to the God that created the universe instead of human things, human ideas. Get back to where I was just a second. I think the main reason for this main reason that people don't want to accept that there is a sovereign God is because of accountability. Think about that for a second. Like, If someone is really in charge of everything, if there really is a rule maker that supersedes all human law, well, then we're going to be accountable, aren't we? We're going to be accountable for the decisions that we make, for the behavior that we engage in. When a person believes that God is sovereign over every government, over every power there is, that person places their allegiance in him. And that that's just, I want to say this clearly, this doesn't mean we're supposed to rebel against every earthly government that's not setting up a perfect example, because otherwise we'd constantly be rebelling, right? And scripture says very clearly that God established governmental authorities. But if the government tries to tell us to do or not do something that directly conflicts with the word of God, then we need to practice civil disobedience. If a Christian doctor is told you must perform abortions or you'll lose your medical license, then he may just have to lose his license. If a Christian biology teacher is told that she must teach people that, that they get to choose their gender or else she loses her job, then well, she may need to find a new job. If a Christian pastor is told that his church will lose tax-exempt status unless they perform same-sex marriages, then guess what? We're going to lose our tax-exempt status. May have to start making tents on the side. I mean, the fact is, God, God is the one that we have to obey. And if our government or our bosses or our teachers or even our parents tell us that we must disobey God, it's, it's time for a gut check. Our loyalty is to God and his word. Even if the world falsely calls you a bigot or a hater or a fool. Listen, guys, the world is sick. And I, I don't mean that in a, in a, first of all, I don't mean that in like, dude, this is so sick. I mean like the world, the world is sick. Not, I'm not saying that insultingly or in a derogatory way. It's sick in the way that a person who is drinking himself to death is sick. It needs help. It needs salt. It needs light. Our hearts in our flesh are desperately sick. Desperately deceitful. There before the grace of God go we. So, so, so let's, let's try to have a mixture of boldness and tactfulness, just like the apostles did. You know, the, the, the people around us who have fallen under this, this wicked delusion that's permeating everything, this, this wokeness stuff that's everywhere. Listen, those people are not our enemies. They're not. They are captive to a deceptive philosophy. We're not going to win them over to God's side by, by calling them, you know, worthless or making fun of them, mocking them, calling them names. That's not going to win people. We are called to speak the truth in love. We're no better than anybody else. I, I want to just make sure we're all on the same page, Christian. 
We're no better than anyone else. We've, we've just been given the ability to see the truth, and now we've been given the duty by Christ himself to spread that truth. We're forgiven. We want to tell people about forgiveness. Also, there, in this passage, there's an interesting turn of a phrase that Peter and John say. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Not we will not, not we should not. We cannot they were under a supernatural compulsion to share the good news about Jesus. And no one was going to be able to keep them from doing so as long as they were able. Because boldness refuses to deny the truth. Now, it, it can be fairly argued that, that Peter and John weren't asked to deny the truth, simply to stop telling the truth about Jesus. But if you recall, last week's point was that the truth, the final point was that the truth is a person. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and he gives us salvation because of his great mercy when we put our faith in him, when we believe that, that he died for our sins and rose from the dead. And Jesus himself, Christ himself, told them, you will be my witnesses even unto the ends of the earth. He had full-on commissioned them to do exactly what they were doing. And so, so refusing to obey him by sharing the gospel would be, in effect, denying him. After all, Jesus contrasted acknowledging him with denying him. He didn't, he didn't offer a third option. He didn't say there's middle ground here. So church, understand, in, in many places, many hostile countries in the world, there are Christians who are giving up their homes, giving up their freedom, giving up even their lives for the gospel because they refuse to deny Jesus. They won't deny the truth. I, I was listening to a program the other day, and, and the, the guy that was talking, he made a reference to this episode of a TV show from when I was a kid, and it sounded really interesting, and so I wanted to look it up, and I'm going to share it with you, okay? The, the, show, the show is Star Trek The Next Generation, okay? And th this was from an episode that came out almost 30 years ago. Can you believe that? That was that long ago? Well, there was this one episode, it, it totally was cribbing from, from George Orwell, but it was eerie. It was, it was creepy in how, how well it predicted the mindset that was coming. Okay, first of all, the villains in this particular episode are a race of hideous creatures who seem to be part human and part synthetic called the Cardassians. <laughs> Just saying. But the main point of the episode is that Captain Picard has been captured by these alien monsters, and they are torturing him. At first, they're trying to get information about Starfleet, right, that he doesn't have. But when his main torturer realizes that Picard doesn't have the information, his goal changes. Now he's trying to break Picard. And so he shows the captain, some of you probably remember this, he shows the captain four bright lights in the ceiling, and he asks how many lights there are. And every time that Picard answers correctly that there are four lights they administer a shock the torturer begins insisting that the captain tell him that there are five lights not four and this goes on for a while and it starts to wear down the captain right and near the end of the episode the torturer comes and he sits down he's talking with picard and he says to him that he has a choice he says he can either continue saying that there are four lights and remain in this terrible captivity for the rest of his life or he can say there are five lights and be given freedom and comfort for the rest of his life and you can see picard wrestling with it but before he has to choose the message comes through that he's been rescued and he has to be released and as he is leaving 
he turns to his torturer and he says, There are four lights! Eerily prescient, isn't it? This church is the mindset that we must have. We must agree that truth is truth. Because this is very much what the secular world is trying to do with Christians. It's saying, just agree with us. Agree that you see something you don't see. Admit that you're wrong about what you know is true and we'll leave you alone. We must not let ourselves succumb to the pressure. Boldness refuses to deny the truth. Let's finish up. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. Friends, did you catch that? They, they got let go this time. This time, the Sadducees let them go rather than punishing them because they can't undo what everybody in the crowd has already seen, right? The outcome's different next time. We'll get to that. But most of the, most of the religious leaders become even more adamantly opposed to this truth as time goes on, but they can't suppress it. They can't stop the truth because, like we looked at last week, truth is able to defend itself. Truth can defend itself. Truth has a power of its own because it cannot be effectively disproven. You know, lies can be repeated almost endlessly, but that still doesn't make it true. They can get their talons into the minds of the uncertain, but that still does not make it true. But when truth is spoken and repeated in a loving but bold manner, it sinks into and it tends to polarize, doesn't it? It draws lines on the sand. Especially the truth about Jesus Christ. It either pushes people toward a greater hardness of heart or pushes them toward salvation by grace through faith. The first leads down the path to hell. But the second leads to peace joy and eternal life in heaven with Christ. And I, I'm thankful that I'm in the, the second category and I hope that all of you are too. I hope you are. I hope all of us want everyone that we know to be in that second category and we can help them get there by sharing the truth of the gospel with them and then living it. But here's a fact. No matter who believes it and who doesn't, in the end, truth wins. Because Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. And he is going to return and he's going to bring home those who belong to him and he's going to judge those who have rejected him and denied the truth. Friends, listen. Listen. You have the opportunity. As long as you're on this side of the grass, you have the chance to turn to Jesus with repentant faith. Embrace truth. Embrace the eternal life that Jesus earned for us when he went to the cross. And it can start today. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, do so. If you've put your faith in Jesus, but you haven't been faithful to, to everything that God has commanded you to do. If you haven't come up and you haven't confessed your faith, you haven't been immersed in water as scripture teaches as a believer. If you haven't chosen to begin walking in obedience to Jesus, you can start now. You do not know what tomorrow brings. You don't. 